you go back to the start of the pandemic, the markets were imploding last March and the traditional advisors were scrambling, trying to get on the phone with their customers to tell them it's okay, everything's going to be okay, right? The fintech companies had already connected with those customers in an electronic way and were able to reach their customers much more efficiently than the traditional advisor. We looked at our credit union ACH transactions. Pre-pandemic to right after GameStop, they increased by 650% of money going to fintechs, to the Robinhoods, the SoFis, et cetera. What we have to do is bring that product and service to our members because they're going to do it elsewhere. We want them doing it with us. We are trying to democratize investing around the world and give these opportunities to the United Nations employees, no matter where they're located and no matter what access they have to financial markets. The basis of that is how you eliminate all the friction. And the proof points are things like being able to open an account in seven seconds or less with no paperwork. If they say, right now, today, I'm a do-it-myself, we know at some point in the future, they're gonna say, you know what, I don't have time or I can't do the amount of research I needed to do and do it for me. It's a natural progression for us to constantly track how often we capture the relationship of that next generation and serve that part of the clientele that we would normally be focused on. You're gonna to have to abandon the things that have gotten you to this point and start thinking differently. Because if you don't, somebody mentioned SoFi, they're coming. When you go on to someone like SoFi today, you can buy stock, you can do a passive investment, you can open a bank account, you can buy cryptocurrency. Like that is just intuitive for an end customer. Hello, and welcome to Staffus Mattel Untangling FinTech Podcasts, the series which provides you with the knowledge that helps you leverage technology to enhance your strategic objectives. In this episode titled On the Road to Democratizing Investing, we will discuss how your organization can leverage the latest technology to bring investing to the masses to every segment of your client base. What it takes to respond to the competitive threats posed by apps like Robinhood, Acorns, SoFi, etc. How the client experience goalposts are constantly moving and what it will take not to be irrelevant five years from now. Our guests today include accomplished executives that come to the discussion from three different perspectives. We have the CEO of Apex Clearing, the engine behind many disruptor apps, the COO of a new disruptor broker-dealer in our channel, and the president of UNFCU Advisors, a subsidiary of the United Nations Federal Credit Union. Our hosts are Scott Stathis and Bob Mattel, and we would like to express our appreciation to Copper Financial for their support in making today's episode possible. And now I'll turn it over to our hosts. Hello, I am Scott Stathis of Stathis Partners, and I'd like to welcome you to what promises to be a very unique episode. It's not too often we get to announce a new third-party broker-dealer to our channel, like this is the first time. And what makes this discussion particularly intriguing is that this BD has a unique differentiator a mission to democratize investing for our channel through the use of cutting edge technology. And to this end, they've partnered with Apex Clearing. For those of you who have been paying attention, you know Apex has been a true disruptor in the clearing space. 
and has been the engine behind many of the robo and app-based platforms that are revolutionizing our industry and increasing client expectations. So we're lucky enough to have the CEO of Apex Clearing with us today. Um, our panel will introduce themselves in a moment, but first, let me have our co-host introduce himself. Bob? Thanks, Scott. I am Bob Mattel, and I am the co-host and co-producer of this podcast series, Untangling Fintech. And as usual, we have an excellent panel with us that will bring the world of democratization of investing to life. So let's start out with some introductions, and Bill, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, thanks. First, uh, Scott, Bob, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. My name is Bill Capuzzi. I'm the CEO of, of Apex. The way that, that I describe Apex, we are the fintech for fintechs. We are a B2B platform, uh, and the focus, you know, sort of maniacal focus of the company is how do we eliminate friction? How do we take all of those mundane processes that are part of the investing world and make them as automated, streamlined, and real-time as possible? Uh, whether that's you know, trading, opening accounts, the settlement process, uh, all of the things that happen in and around investing, how do you kind of pull out all of the friction from that process? Excellent. And we look forward to a good conversation about all that. Joseph. Well, hello, everyone. And, uh, and Scott and Bob, thank you for having me. Um, and it's a pleasure to be here. I'm Joe Marashulo. I am the uh, president of UNFCU Advisors, which is the investment platform for the United Nations Federal Credit Union based out of New York City, but with branches around the world. And uh, as you can guess, we are a SEG, so a select employer group. Uh, we still are a, uh, you know, a SEG, as many credit unions are not today. Um, you do have to be an em employee or family member um, of a, a United Nations employee to join our credit union. We do serve about 170,000 members uh, globally around the world. So in the spirit of democratizing investments, I would say that, uh, you know, we are, with the help of our uh, broker dealer, Copper Financial and Apex, we are, you know, trying to democratize investing around the world and, and give these opportunities to uh, the United Nations employees and their family members, uh, no matter where they're located and no matter what access they have to financial markets in their particular geographies, we're trying to give them access um, through Copper Financial, through Apex, to the U.S. markets and serve the world. That's our motto at uh, UNFCU. We serve the people who serve the world. That is awesome. Love that. I love that. Uh, Justin. Yes. Thanks, Bob. And, and thanks, Scott, for, for putting this podcast together. I also want a special thanks to Bill Capuzzi and Joe Marishulo, our partners in, in making this possible and what we get to do on a daily basis. And that's, that's helping credit unions uh, bring investing to all. I'm the chief operating officer of Copper Financial. We are a FINRA registered broker dealer, SEC registered investment advisor, solely operating to serve credit unions and their members. Uh, we are uh, wholly owned by Community America Credit Union based in Kansas City, Missouri. And our credit union serves about 285,000 members. And we look to continue to partner with other credit unions to help democratize investing. Excellent. And let's get right into it. Scott's got the first question. Yeah. So uh, democratizing investing has been mentioned several times in the first uh, few minutes of this podcast. So that's, I think, where we should start. 
So let's let's dig into that. We have had several discussions ahead of this podcast recording, and that term has been thrown around. and it, And it's a great term, but let's kind of unwrap it. So maybe Bill, you can kick us off. Get, paint a mental image for us of of what a perfectly democratized investing world would look like. It's a great question. And very simply for us is really enabling anyone to be an investor, right? And it sounds so simple, but if you, if you rewind the tape and it's not that long ago, right? So go back five years, 10 years, and you think about what was our industry like, there was pretty high hurdles in terms of uh, whether it be commission rates, whether it be minimums, right? When you think about the advisory world, right? Minimums, 100,000, 200,000 million dollar accounts. Um, and, and for people that are in that middle income or lower income, they just didn't have the opportunities to invest because um, the access wasn't there. The tools weren't there. As a result, really, they were boxed out of investing in their future. Fast forward to today and you think about what's available. Uh, first of all, most of the barriers to entry are now gone. Right? You think about the partnership that we have you know, with Justin and his team, it really is around providing a platform, a front end for customers to be able to very simply open accounts and start that investment journey. Um, and then the second part is eliminate, and I said in my intro, eliminating the friction, right? Part of the friction is the cost, right? So by and large, the explicit cost to an investor um, is close to zero today uh, in most cases. Um, so you eliminate this sort of upfront cost uh, that has been there. You lower those minimums that I talked about. And then you do things like provide access to fractional investing, right? And so you think about you know, certain stocks and, and the price of the stock being in the $500, $600 range. Most people can't afford that to buy one share, right? So you do things like fractional share investing and allow people to buy fractions of Tesla, Right of Amazon, uh, you know companies that they're interested in, but you know frankly don't have you know the means to buy even a single share. Um, and then the last part around democratizing investing, I think it's more broad than just investing. You, know, you think about sort of the connection between banking, investing, lending, insurance. Let's just stay in those four verticals. Part of the the democratization is, is how those different silos are converging from a product perspective. And, and the sort of proof point there is you just take banking and investing, right? How much power there is for middle America, if you can connect the dots and provide something that's more of a holistic solution from a banking and investing you know, standpoint. Um, and that's where things are going, right? I think that's you know, the partnership that, that we have with Justin and his team in providing a solution is, is really around how do you lower the barriers to entry and how do you provide better access to tools to allow people to invest in their future? Yeah, and Bill, I'll, I'll piggyback off of that. I think I've had the fortune to get to know Bill over the past several years and really our missions between our organizations align so well with this theme. Um, you know, Bill, Bill just mentioned it, right? Enable anyone to be an investor. Well, that's, that's the credit union space, right? We exist to serve the underserved and to bring product for all, whether that's wealth management or checking or loans, et cetera. And so by 
the, the partnership that we can have with Apex and their technology, it allows us to bring investing to all and take out those minimums, et cetera. And that's, that's what every credit union is, is trying to do and be there for their members is in solving that problem, right? I mean, we can all figure out and put financial advisors in, in front of our credit union members for those with $250,000 or $500,000 to invest. What we all struggle with is bringing it to the masses in our credit unions, where we have several hundred thousand members that we're trying to you know, bring financial peace of mind to and get them to start investing where they never thought they could do so before. And because of Apex and technology and fractional trading, again, we can we can now bring that and offer that to our credit unions. So let me let me ask you a um, kind of a layering question, and then I'm going to hand it back to Bob because I know he has a question he wants to ask. So the big picture in the financial services industry has changed dramatically over the last five ten years, right? So if you think about, and this is all relative to democratizing investing. If you think about what has gone on with things like, you know, Robinhood and Acorns and some of those apps, as well as Robo, uh, it's, it's, a new, it's a new world. And, you know, related to democratizing investing is the fact that, that the industry is now pulling in a lot of much younger people into the investing world, right? And they're doing it in some unique and disruptive ways. So if you think of our channel, the credit union channel, uh, I think to a degree, and you tell me if you if you agree, to a degree, the credit union channel has been like deer in the headlights, like, wow, what do we, how do we even, like, how do we compete? And how, so, so we're, we've been kind of stuck with people like us, the baby boomers, right? Meanwhile, the next gens, you know, the millennials, the gen, the gen Xers, gen Zs, whatever, are doing very different things that almost in no way relate to the way we've provided wealth management. And we're not attracting them, which is a problem because there's $70 trillion worth of wealth that's going to be transferred to them. And they're not in our wheelhouse. And some of the stuff I believe you're talking about will enable us as a channel to get more in that wheelhouse as well. So we don't come up dry 10 years from now when most of the baby boomers have passed the wealth to the next gen's and they're not they're not members, right? Or or we don't have the the means by which we can keep them happy from an investing standpoint. So I think this democratizing investing, and 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 you guys, and I say you guys, Justin Copper Financial, bringing it to the channel to a degree is going to help us solve part of that problem. So I, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And and you know, Joe, I I don't know, you know, if that's part of your thinking as you partnered with them or is that part of your foot but it just just give us just kind of knee-jerk reaction to that 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 whole dilemma of what do we do with the next gens that are using very different methodology to to invest and can we bring them into our fold oh thanks scott you know i think that the united nations federal credit union is in a unique position um, as i mentioned they are a seg so a select employer group which means um our sponsor is key to the credit union's go-forward business model. That relationship is paramount. Think about what it means to be a member of the credit union is you're an employee of the sponsor. So when you think about what you mentioned about next generation or, or these, these underserved investors, they become really important to our continued success because 
the ability for a family member to join our credit union is really the connection for us that helps us maintain our clients. So it's almost like a natural progression for us to constantly track and be aware of how often do we capture the relationship of that next generation and serve that part of the clientele that we would normally be focused on. So we do track it pretty closely. We try and engage the next generation, the the family members, so that we can continue to maintain those assets. And that generation is also extremely focused on the things like you were mentioning as far as the fintechs. The competition to banks, credit unions, RIAs, broker dealers, a lot of times you think of it as as a fintech. It involves payments. It involves the ability to move money. It involves the ability to do things on your phone and make a payment right on your phone um, to be able to send money to a person. So these things are all part of the picture. They're all part of competition. And when you can get all that from one institution, it really speaks to the next generation. So for us, it's And in partnering with Copper Financial, where we find is we do have a very unique member. It's a difficult member to serve in the sense that, you know, we're dealing with something that is cross-border. We're dealing with um, citizenships from all over the world, domiciles that are different than citizenships. And in order for us to be successful, we need a partner that really takes the time to look at situations member by member in order to serve them correctly. Um, That's on the part of Copper Financial. It's on the part of Apex. And what we really have to have is a member-centric mentality. That's probably the biggest, most important benefit that we get from partnering with Copper Financial, because it takes us to the place where we can review down to the account, down to the person, you know, how we're going to best get to that solution that fits. And hopefully we're going to get there. Maybe we don't every time, but we try. And that's the key. So um, Copper understands that our reputation with our members hinges completely on doing the right thing the right way and making the effort to do it. And, you know, the ability to, to bring these services to these uh, to these folks around the world, like you said, they're in their 40s. You know, they're looking for more of these more technology oriented solutions. The fact that they're spread all around the world, they want to be able to see their account online. They want to be able to be in touch with what's happening. Many of them are in locations where you know they can't even get internet service all the time, or it's spotty, or it doesn't exist, and they have to wait to go to another country. So for them, the ability to touch technology and move money around um, is paramount to providing the solutions the right way. Um, We get that from Copper Financial and from Apex. Um, They understand those needs, and and it's so important for us to be able to maintain that relationship with our sponsor. Yeah. And, and one of the things you just said, is, I think is key, and that is um, getting to the next gen via the current gen who are currently clients and members uh, is critical. And, and, and we have to leverage that. As Joe was talking, Bill, you and Justin, both, I can see you're restless in your seats. You both have thoughts and comments you want to contribute. So, so Bill, you want to want to give us your thoughts in that regard? And then Justin, uh, you can give us yours. Yeah, look, I, I might be somewhat controversial to to your audience, but you know, I, I think that there's an arrogance, maybe some hubris amongst the sort of traditional advisors. In that, you know, traditionally or historically, what happened is, okay, once people get real money, they're just going to show up at my door, and and that's the way that traditional advisories worked. It's like, okay, well, you know, this is why you have minimums of five hundred thousand or a million dollars in an account. It's like, well when they really need help, they're going to show up here. 
And before that, I don't really care, right? Let them do whatever they're doing on Robinhood or SoFi or any of these things. But but when they really need advice, they're going to show up. And, and I would argue that that is going to break. That, that cycle is breaking. And part of the reason it's breaking is back to democratization of investing. Like you're lowering the barriers to entry. And I'll tell you that the content that some of these providers, right, that are putting out there is amazing. And it's connecting people kind of where they want to be connected with, right? And if you go back to the start of the pandemic, right, the markets were imploding last March and the traditional advisors were scrambling to try and get on the phone with their customers to tell them it's okay, everything's going to be okay, right? Because uh, it was the first real move in the markets in a long time. The fintech companies had already connected with those customers in an electronic way and were able to sort of reach their customers much more efficiently than the traditional advisors. So look, I, I think that hubris and the way things have been done is not necessarily the way things are going to get done. That's part one. Part two is, you know, I think we as an industry take people, let's take Joe. Joe is either a passive investor or an active trader. And you either say, okay, that person is going to be an E-Trade Robinhood customer, or they're going to give their money to an advisor and passively invest. And the reality is, if we ask Joe, Joe has both. And most people do. It's really around how do you connect those dots and allow people to invest in their passions, but also invest smartly and passively. There's a boring part of investing depending upon your age. Uh, but there's passions. And the fact that advisors today say, hey, if you want access to crypto, okay, you want Bitcoin, go open a Robinhood account. You know, go open a Coinbase account because we can't help you here. That's just flawed. Or if you, know, you want to buy individual stocks, go open some other account someplace else. Like, it's just a flawed premise. You know, this concept of providing a solution that spans the, the passions, the things that people want to invest in, and also provides that human touch, that, that overlay that allows people to passively invest. Like that is, to me, the path forward. And the folks that are providing it, right? That, that's the work that Justin and I are, are doing together. And I think this is where the cutting edge of our industry is focused, right? The fintechs all the way to the left are focused on trying to provide that chassis for end customers. Well, that's that's a, my story, and I'm sticking to yeah. it. <laughs> well, you know, it's a broad vision, and it makes a ton of sense. And I think there are a lot of people that uh, are in denial of that reality, but it is reality, right? If you're a student yeah. of, of the game, you know that's exactly what's going on. Clearly, Bill, yeah. you are a student of the game, and you have to be given what you're doing, right? So, Justin, let me. Let, I'm going to pass the ball to you now because Bill laid out a, a compelling vision that most credit unions and banks in the channel that we serve, and I say we, and I'm talking about this podcast, right? The people that are going to be listening to it, they're um, to a degree, they're paralyzed by that. How do we even do that, right? So is that what you are bringing to our channel, Justin? It absolutely is. Um, it's, again, Bill spot on is why we work so well together, because we get to join in that mission, the missions align, because he's spot on. What Copper Financial, Community America Credit Union, and the credit unions we serve, we will always have financial advisors in place to help our members. 
Absolutely. Technology will never replace that. Credit union members want that. They want that personalized service. But there's also that stigma of, I don't have enough money, or I'm too scared to meet with an advisor, or as Bill mentions, they have a passion to do something different as well. And so we, thankfully, based on technology and what Apex provides us, we can bridge that gap. So we can offer that digital solution for account opening, democratize investing, get them started, but then work through that process with them every step of the way. So at some point, whether it's when they're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, when that inheritance, that change of jobs, that life event happens, we can meet them where they're at, whether that's technology-based or through a financial advisor. But I had a friend say, we should call this generation Gen I for Gen Investor, right? Because I think what is going on right now, more so than ever in our member surveys and our conversations that we've had with our members is it's credit. They want to learn about credit and how to establish credit. But the next thing they want to know about is investing and wealth management. That is changing from what it was even 10, 20, 30 years ago. That, that wasn't the second thing out of an 18-year-old or 20-year-old's mouth, right? It wasn't thinking about that. But what the pandemic brought, although the pandemic was awful, I'm also a believer in everything bad, there's something good. Something good in this was the investing and how many people started doing things on their own. We looked at our credit union ACH transactions. They increased pre-pandemic to right after GameStop. They increased by 650% of money going to fintechs, to the Robin Hoods, the SoFis, et cetera. And right there, it is showing that they want something different. And so, again, that's the credit union mission. What we have to do is bring that product and service to our members because they're going to do it elsewhere. And for credit unions, we, we want them doing it with us. We're their trusted brain. I always say that everybody be begins with 100% of their assets in a bank or a credit union and the wealthier they get, the less likely it is those assets stay there, right? But we're letting that happen. So we have to solve for that. We have to keep assets in-house. So I, the, the path that you're on in this discussion uh, leads right into, I think, Bob's uh, next question. So Bob, let me hand it over to you. Sure. Thanks, Scott. Um, I, I read somewhere that less than 50% of the U.S. population actually owns stocks or bonds. And I'm sure it's even less worldwide. But is, is democratization of investing setting in motion a big increase, Justin? And how, how is Apex really helping achieve that objective? I definitely think that, that the increase is happening and we're being asked more and more for it, whether that's you know people stopping in our branches and asking for it or, or coming to us from a technology standpoint, which again, that's the great thing of what Apex can provide in, in terms of their technology and bringing fractional trading is the ability to then work with more and more of our members. Because as Bill mentioned at the start of this, you know, you're wanting to buy Tesla. Most of our members can't afford that, you know, and so this brings them the ability to and the energy to of like, wow, they can, they can rally behind their small investments, whether that's $50 or $100, they're, they're getting engaged. So let's take um, a minute and just get a little bit more background on Apex. And in addition, where are we on the race to same-day settlement? Yeah, good question. Um, so like, like I said in the beginning, Apex is, is the fintech for fintechs. We think of ourselves 
um, as a technology company. Scott, you mentioned us as a clearing firm. I've heard us referred to as a custodian. We think of ourselves as a technology company that provides custody. And it sounds kind of cliche, but it's really important in terms of the mission of our company, which is, again, to enable anyone to invest in their future. And if you think about that, the basis of that is how do you eliminate like I've said before, all the friction. And the proof points are things like being able to open an account in seven seconds or less with no paperwork, be able to real-time fund that account, Uh, things like being able to invest in equities and options and futures, fixed income, mutual funds, cryptocurrency, NFTs, private placements, and do it on a mass affluent basis, right? The second question is about settlement. I, I will tell you, you know, I, I've said this a number of times, it is incredibly frustrating to me, but I think it is really kind of a proof point to how much work this industry has ahead of itself. So you know, three years ago, not even, we as an industry, you know, the greatest markets in the world, the best we could do is go from T3 to T2. So we settled trades two years ago. You know, we, you buy a stock, and three days from now, you got to you know, settle up and, and provide the money. We moved to T two. Now it's great. It's one day. If you know, you take one day of, of risk out of the system, but it's pretty pathetic. If you really think about it, especially as it relates to a retail investor. Ninety plus percent of the clients that that Justin and I service have the cash sitting in their account. It's like, well just settle it today. They bought the stock, give them the stock, take the money and settle it on a real-time basis. And if anyone on this podcast has ever invested in cryptocurrency, that's the way it works. It's on a blockchain. It just settles real time. And the reason we can't do that as an industry is because the infrastructure amongst the big banks, the JP Morgans, the cities, the Bank of New York's, State Streets, they're built on old COBOL code. We're talking 70s. And the leap from T3 to a, even a T1 was so great uh, and introduced so much risk in terms of not being able to do that, that the best we could do is go to T2. The industry is on a path. I think uh, we learned a bunch over this past year. I think DTCC is driving this for us, Bob, which is great. But the goal is to get to T1 Right now, I think the estimate is sometime in 2024, which is not inspiring to me. We're talking three years from now, the best we can do as an industry is take a day out. To me, that's sort of pathetic, especially when you consider there are real-time ways to do this. Now, with that said, I'll take T1. It's better than T2 today, and I think it's a step in the right direction. But you know, it does really kind of underscore you know, some of the, the misgivings of our industry. We focused on the front ends, we focused on the sexy parts of our industry, but the infrastructure that supports its, its old COBOL code, it is old infrastructure built on mainframes that can't move in a real-time way. So Justin, you want to wait uh, three more years for T1? Uh, no, no, I don't. I would, like Bill said, I would, I would like for it today, and as Bill mentioned, the majority of our accounts, especially those that are investing cash, whether it's our credit union or United Nations Federal Credit Union or any other partner that we work with, it's sitting in their credit union account. Like that's how we do it, right? If they're not going to ACAD or roll over money from somewhere, it's sitting in a credit union account. 
so yeah, we're we're fully on board. And again, broken record, but why we want to partner with Apex and and drive those missions. You know, Bill talked about being the the fintech for fintechs. For any credit union listening or those that are familiar with the credit union space, those two words don't go hand in hand, credit union and fintechs. We're getting there. We're spending a lot of time there. That's where we wanted to differentiate ourselves was technology. And especially when you think about the number of members that we serve and how tough it can be to open accounts by us going to Apex. Again, Bill talking about opening an account in a matter of seven seconds. It's true. We hit their technology. We passed credit union member demographic information to Apex. And within seven seconds, we have an account open, which for us of trying to break that barrier of working with credit union members, the industry average for credit unions is only about one and a half percent work with their credit unions in terms of wealth management. Community America, we're at 4%, which 4% is small, but by industry averages, it's phenomenal. Um, But we have a lot more work to do and what we want to do and what we want to help other credit unions. And again, our previous providers, we couldn't offer that. We were paper driven. We were wedding. We don't have to be that way through Apex. They allow us that ability to open accounts real time. Thanks. Uh, Joe, you know, we always talk about partnerships and what has been the impact for you partnering with Copper? Is this making the interaction between digital and human easier? Kind of interesting, you know, back to what Bill was saying and the comparisons to all the fintechs out there. And, you know, the expectation level of a member these days is is very high. You know, they're, they, they see commercials on T for SoFi. You know, you look up, where can I get a brokerage account? And there's, you know, you can see ratings for the top 10 fintechs before you see even a single bank. For the normal consumer in the United States, it's like, instantaneous is is what they're they're almost expect to have it today and outside the united states it's the same thing in places like europe where the fintechs are out there and people have the same access except add another layer on and it's multi-currency they're able to send money in different currencies person to person so there is a very high expectation level on the other end of the scale if you think about the typical member of the United Nations Federal Credit Union, sometimes they're in a place where no one will even open up their account. They are a citizen of one country living in another country, and they have a currency that is you know, not denominated in USD, or, or even they do, and they still can't get a brokerage firm in the United States to open up their account let alone anywhere else. So you've got opposite ends of the spectrum here. You've got people that can't get served at all. You've got people that want to get served in a millisecond. So, you know, we are trying to kind of bridge the gap and do everything in between. We really do get the effort from Copper Financial and Apex in trying to do that. You know, we we get accounts open. Um, We have people that are out there that just say, hey, I want to learn. I want to... I'm a credit union member and no one will help me. So you're my credit union and I want to learn about, you know, XYZ, equity, stock, bond. And guess what? We try and respond to them and we give them that human interaction, that human touch that Justin was referring to, because that's what we do. We're credit unions. We are member centric. If they say right now, today, I'm a do it myself. We know at some point in the future, they're going to say, you know what? I don't have time or I can't do the amount of research I needed to do and do it for me. And in between, there's going to be this time where it's like, all right, 
between do it myself and do it for me, there's a, there's a do it with me. So we're going to try and capture all those members. And that's where Copper Financial partnering with us gives us the ability to actually start somewhere, capture the client, take the time, look at every unique situation, try and get an account open. You know, we are working toward that technology piece. It's not always possible for us, but the fact that we're able to start somewhere and work toward it and and have a partner that's willing to work with us in implementing the technology and getting someone who's completely underserved served. And then as we progress on, the fact that Copper Financial is working with Apex at building out this technology, it puts us on the forefront of competing. It puts us on the forefront of meeting that expectation of that person who's around the world who might be in Europe where they are actually ahead of us in some ways. So it gives us the ability to to say, we're going to get you there. We can get you what you want. We can help you with it. We're going to be here for you today and tomorrow. And our technology is going to improve because our partners are working on it to get you to that 24-hour settlement. But today, we're just going to get you the ability to, to invest and do what you need to do. Well, I definitely think credit unions have an edge because of the whole notion of membership that really encourages people to expect more, but also I think they're stickier customers. Scott? This is an interesting avenue that we're discussing here because what we're talking about is differentiation, right? So we we are now clearly in a commoditized industry, right? And if you really think about what we do, or if you're an advisor and think about what you do as an advisor, you know, so what is your product now, right? And so you know, our listeners have heard me say this many times, but uh, I would suggest that the only true product that you have is your process. And that's it. That's the only way you're going to differentiate yourself at this point. And I think what you guys are doing uh, enables those of us that are providing wealth management to perhaps differentiate themselves in some unique ways because of an enhanced process, right? So, I'm assuming what you do it increases client satisfaction, it enhances the client experience, and it provides a layer of differentiation that they wouldn't otherwise have. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And, and do you agree that there is a differentiation factor in what you're providing that can make those that are using what you're talking about stand out a bit above their competition? Yeah, absolutely, Scott. I, I do believe in that. Um, and I do believe what we're doing helps us stand out. And I think the biggest uh, differentiator for us versus much larger firms in this broker-dealer space that work with credit unions is the ability for members when they sign in online banking is to see their wealth management balances front and center. We bring that to the table. For us, it's table stakes with our partners. The other larger firms are not pushing that data. They're not establishing wealth balances in an online banking system. And for our members, right, member 360 is everything. Our members want to see checking, savings, loans, credit cards, et cetera, all in one place. And what our technology allows is to further bring in wealth management balances to their online banking system, regardless of who the online banking provider is. We do that with Community American members. We do that for United Nations. We do that for University Credit Union out of Los Angeles. Any partner that comes to us, that's one of our first steps is figuring out who your online banking provider is and how we can tie our technology into online banking, which will then will further build out 
through online banking and that platform to allow you to open, whether it's a robo or a self-directed account, which again is unheard of in the credit union space at this point in time. Yeah. Well, so what you're, what you're talking about is melding the best parts of of robo and then the focus on long-term wealth with online banking and kind of an all-inclusive consumer offering, right? I mean, that's, that's really the, the end game or one it of is. the end games, right? It is. And we're going live with that. We'll be passing that along to other credit unions. So Joe, I'm assuming that excites you. Absolutely. You know, when you have a member of a credit union that feels like that credit union is embracing them in totality and giving them what they need, that's what your members want. The members want to be served because that's how they think about a credit union differentiating itself from a bank. It's supposed to be for the members. And, And that's what the partnership with Copper has brought to us is that they understand that as a credit union themselves, that we're trying to live up to that expectation of our member. Our sponsor holds us very accountable to that. So it's an important thing that Copper Financial sees that aspect and, and helps us bring that. It's, um, it's collaborative and they understand that we are as the credit union and Copper Financial as our partner, you know, we're just part of that value chain that brings those very significant things that our members are looking for. So understanding that, appreciating that and engaging us at that level, it helps us deliver what our members expect. And and another point I want to add to that is this technology that Yes, we are building a lot of it ourselves, but we can't do it without the help of Apex. And Bill said early, one thing to me was, you know, we provide the plumbing, which they do. We have the plumbing from Apex to tie to systems to get wealth balances, et cetera, in online banking. But let's take it even a step further because of what Apex's uh, technology brings us. We also, for any Apex account that we have, we also push monthly or quarterly statement in online banking. We push tax documents. So your 1099 is sitting in online banking. Your statements and confirms from every transaction that's done through an Apex account is pushed online banking as well, which then you can download or you can send that to your CPA if you want. Yeah, that's very cool. All right. So I'm going to, before I pass it back to Bob, Bill, I want to dovetail on what Justin and Joe were just talking about and um, kind of back up to the big picture a little bit because- Bill, you, you've had a front row seat to watching the unfolding of revolutionary times in our industry, right? If you, if you think about, you know, Schwab and Fidelity and the Morgan Stanley acquisition of E-Trade, SoFi, Robinhood, Acorns, and all those things that we mentioned, you've watched all that happen and been the engine behind some of that happening, right? Yep. But but if you if you look at trending and if you look at research, um, it still seems that ultimately the sweet spot is where high tech and high touch meet, right? It's that balancing act. And you said it before, it's like providing people the ability to do stuff on their own, but then also letting them have their hand held when they want to have their hand held when their situation gets really complicated. Uh, but you can't expect that transition to happen on its own. So, so really the question is, if you, if you look at our channel, so credit unions and banks, what do you think they have to do in this regard to not find themselves irrelevant five years from now? Yeah, well, I think the first part is, you know, when I, when I think about the leaders that work with Apex, right, you think about what is the discernible pattern, 
right, that come from the traditional advisory credit union bank space that work with Apex versus, you know, the traditional, you know, Schwab, Fidelity, Pershing. And the only discernible pattern is how progressive is the leader? Really, honestly, it's, are those folks thinking, you just mentioned, Scott, five years, right? You got to think 10, 20 years, because five years, yeah, it's around the corner, right? And decisions you make today or don't make today, you know, they'll have some impact in five years. But those folks have to think about what does their company look like in 10, 15, 20 years and start that journey. I, I applaud Justin and, and the folks at Community America Copper Financial because they are the progressive leaders. They're thinking about how are we going to be in this game and help our member firms and you know, members 10 years from now. And that inertia in our industry and the fact that people, especially leaders, have a very short-term view, right? They're going to be in this seat for five years. You know what? Just don't rock the boat. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. It's working. We're making our, our you know, 100 basis points. You know, look, I, I, of course, I'm on the spectrum here in the way I think about this, but it's a recipe for disaster. And frankly, I look at the folks that work with Apex today, and I love the fact that those traditional firms aren't focused here because it just provides a bunch of opportunity. So back to your question, look, I would say you're going to have to abandon the things that have gotten you to this point and start thinking differently. Because if you don't, right? Somebody mentioned SoFi before. Like They're coming. Like I said in the beginning, you know, the way that you know, sort of people and they grow up and they finally get money, they're going to show up at your doorstep. Yeah, there'll still be some of that. But for sure, it's going to change. There are people, including Robinhood, by the way, you will see Robinhood in the next year, they will announce a passive investment advisor solution. There is no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it that Vlad will offer an advisory solution. Those customers that are loyal, they're building trust with the younger generation, right? And that part, trust is super important here, right? So, you know, look, I, I obviously think really you know, I have very strong views on this. I think about the, you know, the audience that's listening to this is you've got to think differently, right? Open your eyes to what's happening around you and start asking questions, course, you know, talk to, to Justin about, about ways to partner, obviously talk to the folks at Apex about, you know, things that are happening here. Um, but again, I'll underscore that in five years, things will not happen the way they're happening today in our industry. Yeah. You know, so a couple of things, I mean, you said, you said some things that are very impactful and I want to reinforce them. You know, one, as I mentioned, five years only because that's how quickly you can find yourselves irrelevant if you don't have that longer term view and start uh, acting based on where you need to be 10 years from now, right? So five years from now, you can be irrelevant if you're not moving towards your North Star that's well-defined, right? So the other piece of that is um, (laughs) you mentioned that a good leader is critical, right? So a good leader of an organization is going to paint that, that picture for those working for the organization and is going to say, this is the direction we need to go in. Here's my flag based on that. And I'm going to, I'm marching in this direction and let's all do this together. So they're all rowing in the same direction. They know where their North Star is. There's a rudder that's steering the organization. And that leader is powerful enough to pull everybody with him or her to get there. The, the, the interesting thing about that is that most leaders, uh, if they're not good, get paralyzed 
by the overwhelming nature of what it is we're talking about instead of saying, all right, well, if we want to get there in five years from now, 10 years from now, what are the steps we need to take? And of those steps, if there are 20 of them, which are the most important ones to start with? Let's pick the top three and then just, just focus on one. And once we get our arms wrapped around that, then we'll go to two. Once we get our arms wrapped around that, then we'll go to three. That's, that's how you start making progress in that direction. And that's enough to start differentiating yourself. So I think that's critical. I think you're absolutely right. It's a strong leader is going to get everybody marching in the same direction. The other thing that's fascinating to me that you mentioned is the robo versus trading apps thing, right? So we talk about robo and then we talk about the, you know, the acorns and the Robin hoods and most people kind of blend them all into the same bucket and they're very different because, you know, robo, like you said, is passive investing and, and, you know, the Robin hoods are essentially trading apps. And are those two things coming together? Is one moving towards the other? Is the other moving towards that one, right? And so I mean, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, look, they're not all moving towards that center point, but a lot of them are, right? And the reason, again, is that we've decided that take a person and we say, you're either an active trader or a passive investor. And, and it's just not the way people are. Yeah. Right? It's not the way people think about investing, right? And so you're, you're seeing that sort of, and part of the reason is the technology hasn't allowed for that to happen. It's like, oh, well, I'm an advisor versus a broker, and I don't have the technology to do single stock. And it, like, there's all kinds of nonsense over the years that I think has precluded us from creating one solution for an end customer. And today, you can do that. You can offer both and do it on a scalable, cost-effective, frictionless basis. And yeah, that's where things are going. So when you go on to someone like SoFi today, you can buy stock, you can do a passive investment, you can open a bank account, you can buy cryptocurrency. Like that is just intuitive for an end customer. Um, so I would say for sure, part of it is the barriers are now down in terms of technology to support that. Right. The next hurdle is really for the traditional advisors to embrace that concept and allow for their end customers to invest in the things that they want to invest in. You know, again, I, I think, you know, I was on a panel last week at this Tiburon conference and, and I was on with some folks and, you know, they were talking about cryptocurrency and how like, how dangerous and, um, you know, it shouldn't be part of a portfolio. And, and I just disagree. Not that I'm a huge crypto fan, but if you have a long time horizon, 5% of your portfolio in Bitcoin or Ethereum, and I'm not talking about Dogecoin or Shiba coin, but like, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum for someone that's 28 years old, 5% of their portfolio, like that makes a lot of sense to me. And the fact that, you know, the industry doesn't allow for that and then takes that individual and forces them to open a Coinbase account or a Robinhood account, it's a missed opportunity. And by the way, you're driving that client into your competitor in five or 10 years from now. Exactly. We're literally driving them right into their hands. And that to me seems kind of illogical. T totally agree. And, and well said. And Tiburon's not a bad place to hang out. I wish I, I was with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob, I think you have a question that kind of goes down that, that's that same path, right? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of our listeners would like to know about profitability. So, Joe, let's talk profitability. You know, we always hear about reduced commissions, free investing. Help our listeners understand the profitability challenges of these small accounts. And you know, how do you solve for that? It's, it's, it can't be an easy uh, equation. You know, that's interesting because as a former financial advisor way back when, you sat there in that chair and 
when you think about well, how does a credit union offer an investment platform, right now you have to speak to a financial advisor, but therein lies the actual beauty of the answer to that question. Because if you have an opportunity to have the conversation, you are going to eventually make that progression that I, th- I think Bill was kind of alluding to when he said, the active versus the passive investment. Well, how do you figure that out? You know, you've got to actually have a conversation with somebody. And that's how we do it in the credit union world, digging down and having a conversation. Your financial advisors serving members of credit unions understand, okay, you know, I got to call this person back within 24 hours, even though they may have a question about buying Bitcoin and uh, everybody's curious about it. It may not be something that puts a penny in the financial advisor's pocket, but you still need to be able to progress that person from understanding, you know, should I go buy Bitcoin? Should I listen to Matt Damon on a TV commercial telling me fortune favors the brave? You know, my 84-year-old mom asking me what's Bitcoin? You know, everybody has those kind of questions. It's just out there today. But if you don't engage at the level of some of the larger what we used to call a discount house, your TDs and your Schwabs of the world. How how do you make money on a Bitcoin trade? Well, okay, I got some money I want to trade on my own and I'm going to open up uh, an account on Thinkorswim and I'm going to dig in and do all that kind of research on my own and do some trades. And those trades cost me nothing. And I guess six months later, when I take my $100,000 and it's worth five, or I get whipsawed in GameStop or whatever else is going on, you know, I start to rethink, am I really an active investor? Am I really, am I really someone who wants to be out there on that platform? You know, have I figured out I don't have the time to do it? Have I figured out, you know, I'm somewhere in between and I want someone else to do it for me? Well, I can't get there unless I get engaged by a financial advisor. And, and financial advisors are smart. They're going to take time to speak to those members because they know at some point, Every person is different. You are going to have people that always are going to want to do a little training on their side, even if it's with a small amount. You're going to have people who want nothing to do with it ever, ever, ever. And there's everything in between. And again, you go online and you look at these fintechs. Some of them, they only offer five passive portfolio structures. And that's it. That's their whole investment offering. You've got others, their pitches do any trade you want. It it costs you nothing. If you want to just plug in and get an immediate execution, that's us. And they're kind of picking one space or the other, because how do you have both? You've got to have at some level, a person to have a conversation with a person who embraces you at both ends of that spectrum and tries to help transition you. I'll end that thought by just saying this. When I came to UNFCU about seven years ago, I kind of coined this phrase, and it's it's kind of the way I think of Copper Financial and maybe even Apex, because it, it's pioneering in a sense. And that's, think of the United Nations Federal Credit Union, you know, it's like the name gives us a lot of recognition, yet we're a company with 165,000 members. The phrase that I came up with, which I loved, was we are big in all the right ways and we are small in all the right ways. So in other words, we're going to deliver to you a best-in-class platform. We're going to, we are going to be big. We're going to be a, a name that can deliver what that big name infers, but we're also small. We are going to look at the problems and people individually on an individual level. When I say that, I mean, I can go to Justin and say, Justin, I got a problem, or Justin, I'm trying to get something done. And 
you know what Justin says to me? All right. I don't know. I get what you're trying to do here. I get it. I get where you're trying to go. Let me see if I can figure it out. I'm going to be talking to Bill at Apex next week. Me and Mike are flying down there. Let me get with Bill on it. Let's see how we can figure it out. That's big in all the right ways and small in all the right ways. That's not happening when you're, you know, Citibank in New York City or Chase in New York City or HSBC in New York City or Hong Kong. They don't care. You know, that's not what they do. That's what Community America Copper Financial and Apex do. So, you know, that's what we're trying to accomplish here is uh, we're trying to bridge the gap. We're trying to be big in all the right ways and small in all the right ways. Justin, I know you've been sitting on your hands during that, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's spot on. I think, you know, the, the profitability challenges are, are there, but I think it's, it's too, from a credit union standpoint mentality too, is it's about engagement. It's overall credit union member engagement. Yes, there are, you know, we live in this world of, of zero commissions and the barriers to entry are small and those things, which, which it does make profitability really hard, but you got to think of a bigger picture. And I think all credit unions have to think of that bigger picture. In today's world, it's always been member walks into a branch and small dollars and think about the time and energy and effort that a financial advisor puts into that that member, whereas us being able to provide a digital solution, you don't see it per transaction, if you will, from a profitability, but in the long run, the time savings that's there, and then further engaging your member and getting them to have a wealth management account with you only brings that loyalty and brand awareness stronger to increase their balances, whether that's checking, savings, loans, et cetera. Absolutely. It's true financial planning. Absolutely. And it, it's really engaging that customer on, across all avenues. And we know the more tools that a financial advisor has, the more their role as a trust or, trusted advisor will help their clients increase their, uh, their net worth as well. And I, and yeah, I think and, he, oh, sorry, Bob, just, Bob just nailed it when he said it, trusted advisor and Joe, you referred to it. So if, if you have clients, members that are interested in crypto or investing in other things that you don't handle, and you're an advisor, what's the best thing that you can do? Well, the best thing that you can do is advise those clients, not based on what you're going to make money off of or what you're not going to make money off of, just based on your knowledge, right? Because that's your, that is your currency and say, well, you can do this and you can do that and you can use this app if you want, et cetera. And might not be a bad thing. And like Bill said before, you know, 5% in crypto, maybe because of your time horizon, maybe appropriate. I can't help. I can't do it through our organization, but I can tell you how to do it. But bigger picture, this is what we need to talk about, right? And what the, the point of all that is, is you're developing trust. So when their situation becomes one in which they're you know, their, their asset situation is complicated and they have a family and they need, you know, additional help. And they're, they're looking at, you know, longer term investments in retirement and they're looking at protection needs and they're looking at legacy. You're the guy, right? Because you worked early on with them to develop that trust. So it's all about trust. And you want to talk about profitability? It doesn't matter whether some of that discussion relates to you making profit or not. What matters is if you develop that trust, you're going to be managing the majority, eventually, the majority of that member's investable assets. 
And that member becomes a very profitable member because they become loyal to the credit union and they're doing a lot of stuff with you. So anything you can do to develop trust through your advice-based process is critical. So let me, let me ask another question down a similar lane. And that is, and we have what, two questions left, I think, right? So, so that is this, if, if you look at you know, research, it, it becomes clear that the advisors that are leveraging technology are much more productive than the advisors that aren't, right? So if I were an advisor, I would be thinking of myself as a human robo-advisor, right? Uh, because a human robo-advisor is going to have advantages over a robo-robo-advisor every day because there's no such thing as an ag- algorithm for trust. You just cannot write an algorithm for trust, right? So that's your, that's your one-up, right? So, but... If you're going to be a human robo-advisor, what you have to do, and I'll get to this question, this is a setup, (laughs) what you have to do is you have to look at your process, the process by which you work with your clients, and you have to break down your process, literally list all the different elements of your process and say, which elements of my process can I fully leverage technology for? So that's on the technology side of the spectrum, and which elements of my process are very dependent on high touch and the human touch, right? And define that and then go out and find the technology you need to leverage the technology, those things that you listed in your process that are on the technology side of your spectrum and just become incredibly efficient, become that human robo because you're leveraging technology uh, for the things that are appropriate. And then you're reserving your human touch for those most important parts of your process. So I think, Justin, I'm going to throw this to you. I think to a degree, that's what you're talking about, right? You're enabling wealth programs and you're enabling advisors to become that human robo that is always going to be better in the final analysis. If you're good, always going to be better than the robo robo because there is not an algorithm for trust, right? I mean, is that kind of accurate? It's it's completely accurate, Scott, and what we're trying to do. Um, you know, before we we built our own technology platform, we actually started looking at robos. We started looking at their platforms first. It goes back to, to 2016, 2017, the DOL conflict of interest rule coming out. And it's like, wow, there's all this fee compression and we got to do this and, you know, be able to serve all and think about fees. And so, you know, we went into that looking at, okay, well, we've got this financial advisor technology that we we're outsourcing, but, you know, how can we do this segment? And as we went through all the demos, literally, I mean, you name the provider, we went and demoed them. It, it kept coming back afterwards of saying, why can't we build this for financial advisors? I mean, it's not always going to be apples to apples, but how can we onboard accounts quicker and more seamlessly? We felt in our credit union, we coined the phrase, we were taking a knife to a gunfight. With what we were doing from a technology standpoint, trying to open accounts and manage money and financial planning software and everything else, it was all separate. It was all siloed. And for us, it was like, okay, we need to find best of breed technology. Let's build that. We've got financial planning tools. It's all integrated. We work on a Salesforce platform, right? We pass data to whatever system there is to use. And oh, by the way, again, on the back end, Apex is sitting there saying, great, pass the data to me. I'll open the account. And it is a smooth workflow throughout that, that our advisors then can compete against any other advisor, shop, technology in any place, whether that's locally or nationally, which then creates that ability to work with more and more members to build their assets under management. 
it's just a natural flow and, and technology was driving that. Makes perfect sense. Um, and Joe, I assume that that's part of what you're leveraging, right? I mean, that's, that, that's, that's what you're, what you're looking towards as not only providing you with the ability to do what you have to do, given the, the nature of your members, but also uh, differentiating your offering. So your members ultimately are more likely to work with you guys than they are with all the other options they have out there from a investing standpoint. Yeah, it's going on four years, and uh, and Justin's telling the same story he did four years ago. You know, it hasn't wavered one bit. It's, consistency, uh, consistent. You know, and um, they they have been from the inception. I think of of their idea of what they wanted to build as a broker dealer. You know, a second to none technology platform that would allow them to deliver exactly what you know Justin said, and, and, and kind of Scott, where you started out is what do I need. You know, the definition of what do I need during the pandemic becomes even more clear when you see, oh, what I need is, is what the, is the competition doing? And, you know, all the TV commercials and the sofas of the world are, are, are now telling people as they see all this out there, what they need. And all of a sudden what they need becomes where the fintechs are taking this industry. So Mike and Justin, Copper Financial, they were visionary four years ago in the sense that they said, you know what, we've been in this business, we're a credit union, we've had a broker dealer and and we wanna take our business to the next level today. We wanna look out 10 years and 20 years and and be able to deliver the technology that um, that people don't even know they want today, but they're gonna tomorrow. And, you know, they're all starting to get there. And, you know, you just layer on top of that, you kind of what uh, I've been saying throughout is, you know, they're a credit union and they still get it. You know, they still get that the member comes first and the member wants that contact and the ability to have a conversation with somebody, depending on where that conversation goes, you, you've got the ability to kind of act like a robo. And, and when you don't want to go that direction or, or you know, the, the member wants more than just that or starts there and then progresses somewhere else. You've got your own RIA platform integrated in. You've got managed portfolio solutions. You've got the planning tools and everything else integrated and built in. So you're ready to serve that member all the way through, start to finish of where they are today, where they may be tomorrow, and put it all together on a, on a platform that is current and is today's technology. And for us as uh, the United Nations Credit Union, sometimes there's challenges. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we have to figure out unique solutions as far as things like e-signature or what's available or how we do things. You know, and I have to say that, you know, we are competing on a world stage. The three of us in a partnership here, Bill and Justin and I, you know, we are on a world stage. We do have even higher expectations to live up to. And these are great partners because they get it and, and, they, and we work toward figuring stuff out. Well, uh, may, may it be the start of something revolutionary <laughs> for our channel because uh, our channel needs um, more ways in which they can they can compete and differentiate themselves. So, Bob, I'm going to swing it back to you to bring us on home with the last question. Yes, and this is our lightning round. Real quick, Bill, do you consider yourself a disruptor? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, look, our, our job is is to exactly that, is to help the innovators, right? Folks like Justin bring to life something that hasn't been done before. I think the one part sort of underscore is, but also doing it in a safe and secure way, right? It is a highly regulated industry. 
there's obviously lots of risks in and around investing. Um, and so you also have to be a disruptor, but be a disruptor in a really responsible way because we're dealing with people's lives, right? Their financial futures. And getting that right, where you sort of disrupt, you innovate, you kind of break the molds, but also do it in a responsible way is paramount for Apex in terms of you know how we operate as a company. Justin? Yes, absolutely. From a, being a disruptor, um, definitely by definition, what we're doing in the credit union space is, is not being done. We're, you know, there's only a handful of credit unions of the 5,500 that have their own broker share. Um, and, and none of those are working with other credit unions like we are. So right there by definition, yes, we're a disruptor. I'll piggyback off of Bill in terms of a safe and responsible way. I have that faith and confidence in Apex and the technology they bring me. In turn, I push that out to our credit union partners as well to be safe and responsible. Look, in the credit union space, our biggest thing is our brand. Whether it's Community America or United Nations Federal Credit Union, it's our brand, right? I may miss the sales target, but that's okay. But if I do something to damage the brand, whether it's my credit union or or any of my partner credit unions, that's where that's where things can go sideways. And so we are we work in that same capacity as Bill mentioned. Joe, 170,000 members across the world. Are you a disruptor? I would definitely say so. You know, even in the United States, when you look at the credit union uh, investment platform, you know, you see that um, 80% of the assets that are held are, are, are held by 20% of all credit unions. So, you know, that really tells us that there's many credit unions that are not represented in this space. You know, there could be smaller credit unions. This is a disruptor in the sense that, you know, how many of the big TPMs out there really want to go and, and talk to one, two, three person credit unions or, or ones that don't even want to have their employees. You know, they don't want to have an employee. They don't want to get engaged in having, you know, their own, their own program. I mean, you, this is a, this is a disruption of copper financial apex. They want to provide investment services to, uh, those other 80% of credit unions that, that can't get into the space and don't know how. That's disruption. Yeah. And I, you know what? I, I love uh, Bill's comment, disrupt in a responsible way, because I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure we can think back and identify disruptors that, that were reckless uh, and paid the price. And we, we can't be reckless when we're dealing with people's money. I mean, Theranos, right? Is that the right way to pronounce it? I'm not sure, but I mean, there was a reckless disruptor right there, right? And yeah. and and they paid the price, and we can't do that. So I, that that's a very respectable statement, um, and and I and I appreciate you making that. So I believe that's a wrap, and uh, I believe Bob, you have some some last comments you would like to make before we uh, say goodbye to our audience. Absolutely. And just a big thank you to all of our panelists, Bill, Justin, Joe. Thank you so much for the time today and to your companies, Apex, Copper Financial and the United Nations Federal Credit Union. Thank you to our listeners for listening to this podcast. And just remember, you can find all of our podcasts in this series and our other series on the podcast apps, Apple, Spotify, Audible, just to name a few. So, this is Bob Mattel, and we are signing off. All right. Thank you all. Appreciate your, uh, your contributions. Good discussion. And thank you to our listeners. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Untangling FinTech. We hope you found this discussion valuable. We'd again like to thank Copper Financial for their support in making this episode possible. We'd also like to thank them for being such an enjoyable team to work with. 
Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success and BISA Industry Trend Watch. We hope you join us for future episodes. For important disclosures, see the show notes or visit the podcast page at staffispartners.com.